We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know how to say this, so I'll just give it to you straight. Arsenal are by far the best team in the league this year. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Should old acquaintance be forgot and Spurs are still shit? And Chelsea and City and United and they're all just basically shit. Because uh, they are. They're all basically shit. Happy New Year. Uh, don't pinch me. If I'm dreaming, I don't want to wake up. Don't pinch me. Don't tell me what's up. Don't tell me what's happening. I, I don't want to know. Uh, if I like slipped into a coma seven years ago and this is some like eternal sunshine in the spotless mind situation, like I'm, leave me in the coma. Leave me in. The, don't pull the plug, at least until we win the title. Leave me in the coma. Whatever it is, it's it's really, really, really good. And like it's the kind of day where you're like, well, do I consume all the Arsenal content or do I consume all the Spurs content? Because, you know, it's it's great. It's both. I think Tim, uh, quite aptly on Twitter, noted that Conte is morphing into Mourinho, talking about the history of the Tottenham, and, you know, maybe fourth or fifth or sixth is the best this club can do. Like I love it. Just inject it. I hope you're enjoying all this as much as I am. And in case you are inclined to go full whiskers, you know, maybe like a podcast you listen to, uh, about us giving away a few goals at the end of the Brighton game, we won away. I remind you that all the other teams suck and did not win home or away to bad teams. So I wouldn't get too worked up about it. We got a full boat to celebrate the new year here with me now to talk Arsenal four, Brighton two, and all the other scores around the league and how early we'll have the title wrapped up is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at get this Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. <laughs> well remembered. Hello there. Yeah. I mean, give me six months. I can get it right. <laughs> I, I am doing it on the day of Lula's, um, inauguration right so it's it's yeah. apt that i get it right new, new beginnings yeah adults new, new in the beginnings. room again yeah and uh here with me as well you can find him on twitter at pause my pants paul hello paul Woohoo! Happy and the man year, himself everybody yep. he he had dinner during the second half with his decent wife i hope it was a decent dinner it was certainly an indecent time for dinner but we'll forgive him for that well thank you for being here his name is clive you can find him on twitter at clive say hello clive 
Okay, hello, hello. And it was a beautiful dinner. Looking at his phone the entire time. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, it, you picked the perfect time because we had it wrapped up. No angst, no worries. Off to dinner you go and just uh, assume everything went to plan, right? It went to plan. I did see a message saying 4-3. That sort, of, sort of killed the starters a little bit. And I, did, I missed the tweet <laughs> that said it was a disallowed. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, it's six minutes ago and it's 4-3. Suddenly, mate, I didn't fancy eating. But, um, yeah, that's, I plowed that's through. When you go, uh, garçon, encore un sancerre. Si vous play, encore un sancerre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, another, another sancerre for me. Uh, at, to be fair, Matoma was miles off, miles and miles off. So I don't know how the linesman missed it the first time. Um, okay. Paul, I'm going to start with you against my better judgment. Yeah. Arsenal lined up with the lineup you'd pick. You'd, you'd pick it. You picked it. You wanted Zinchenko in. We had Zinchenko in. And right off the bat, we get a goal in the first couple of minutes. Martinelli shot, deflection, lands at Saka's feet. Once again, it's all about how cool can you be in the moment. He's cool as a cucumber. Zinchenko's in point blank. Odegaard does some Jedi mind trick shit in the box to send Martinelli in. He slides a, a little stab ball across the box. They clear it. We were all over them. What happened in the first 10 minutes that had us rocking the Amex? Yeah, so Zinchenko was the thing we wanted to see in this lineup, and I think he was huge in the first five minutes. It's or like so. Shakespeare said, the, the Zinchenko's the thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. He did. Uh, he said the play's um, the thing, but you know what? Oh, okay. Um, which so, king? Um, I was reading up on Deserbi a bit before this game, and so this was going to be a very interesting tactical matchup, you think? And you know, this is supposedly a bogey team for us. Potter liked to put five across midfield, uh, block it all up, uh, press us, make it difficult for us to play out from the back. But we are now fast start FC. Um, How are we going to do this? The way we generally have been doing it, I would say. Uh, Whether they get the kickoff or we get the kickoff, we're going to lump it into the right wing or the left wing corner. So we win the kickoff. We play it straight back to... Ramsdale, you might think of us as a team that likes to control the game, play out from the back. I'm not so sure. I don't think we do that very much. In open play, when things are free-flowing, yeah, maybe. Uh, But given the option from a goal kick, from a kickoff, from pretty much any period of the game that we're looking to contend, we lump it long, win the second ball, which is Bring the trap. Yeah. Yeah. And when you look at the first five, six, seven seconds of this game, over in the right-hand corner is not only Saka, White has got up there, Odegaard, Party's just behind them, uh, Eddie and Ketia, Martinelli is in the right-hand corner. I mean, it's not totally shocking, but it's very clear what the plan is. We win the knockdown, uh, we look to spring a counter, doesn't quite come off, ends up, there's a throw-in, uh, they get the ball back, we pounce again right up in that corner, get a get a turnover. Odegaard drives towards the box, looks to shovel it out to Chaka. Uh, Lamptey springs out, uh, sprints down the, the field. Only Zinchenko is in that position you want your uh, fullbacks to be tucked into. So he lunges at him, takes the first bite. Party takes the second, gets the ball. Zinchenko takes the ball off Party's toe. Uh, swings it out to Martinelli. Now, Deserbi implied that maybe they were a little unlucky with the goal. Maybe he shouldn't have been dis- so, so disorganized. But that's what you get when somebody springs a counter on you. Like, this was the third attempt at a counter at this point. 
and uh, their back lines disheveled, I will say, unkempt. Um, the ball pings about Lance to Saka. Why is Saka unmarked? For the same reason. Fast start FC, lump it up, press like crazy. Had they got the kickoff, they would have laid it back to your goalkeeper, their goalkeeper, and we would have pressed like crazy till they lumped it forward. We got it back and then done the same thing to them. And basically, the first seven or eight minutes we played in their half. When you look at um, where our centre backs are, where Party is, when Lamptey springs out, the centre backs are our two centre backs are on like the sixty-five yard line up the pitch. Party's on like the seventy seventy-five yard line, and we've got everything condensed and compressed. And it also reminds me of Arteta's point about. You know, how does he feel about this higher wire act with his center backs? Because, like, they're, they got three forwards streaming uh, forward while Lamptey's on the ball. And Arteta said, well, like, even at that point, they have a lot to do. Even, even with our center backs high challenging, if they miss a cha- challenge, they have a long way to go. And uh, in some ways, that encapsulated many of our fast starts and certainly our strategy in this game, because Deserby and his team love to play it around the back. They love to do a bit of a rondo, zigzag it through the middle. We did a lot of man-to-man marking to stop that in midfield, to clamp down on it. But Zinchenko, like four minutes into it, Zinchenko has a beautiful move in the box where him and Chaka have ta- toggled a little bit. Chaka's has dropped a bit deeper and let Zinchenko play forward. But Zinchenko mm. plays through midfield. He's over. He's just stitching it together. It's a thing of beauty what Zinchenko does for us. And then defensively, he's right there where you would want him upfield doing the first press. So yeah. um, it, it's it's a extremely deliberate. It's not what I thought Arsenal was going to be a season or two ago, but it's clearly one of the ways we play. It's not how we played for 90 minutes, but it's how we play in sections. And... It's really, really good. Yeah, and and like we we I think we see the benefit of having Zinchenko in this game very clearly. I mean, right from the start, obviously he nearly has a goal early on, but his comfort level in the box, around the box, this, the pace at which he plays the ball, I think he reads the game a little better pressing than maybe Tierney does. I also thought this was a great start for Thomas Party, who was maybe a little more peripheral against a West Ham team that sat deep, but in this game we saw him play through the thirds. We saw him make a ball I think the pairing of the them, mm-hmm. Elliot, Zinchenko and Party, they two, three times they were so close together that they pinched the ball together, quickly played it out through one or the other. Like there's a special magic when those two players get anywhere close to each other. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it just really works. And we'll talk about how the game changed when we changed fullbacks, because I think that's a big part of the discussion of this game, of course. But early on, Clive, we settled into a really interesting a battle that was being waged the whole game. And I think it was one of the more fun things in the game. And it was the Lamptey versus Martinelli battle. I mean, Brighton were willing to isolate, let Lamptey be isolated on Martinelli at times. I thought Lamptey did really well with him, to be fair. Um, Martinelli had some joy. He had some times where he he got in the box. He had some some chances. He obviously gets the goal late on. We can discuss that. But I really want to get your take on that battle because I thought it was a really, really interesting one. A lot of 1v1s with Martinelli and Lamptey, and Lamptey did pretty well to contain him. Um, but but that seemed to be a big, a big feature of the first half that I thought was interesting to watch. Yeah, I had a quick look at the average positions um, today, and, and Martinelli was 
way higher than he was versus West Ham. So it just goes mm-hmm. to show you every game is different. Saka was much more a defender on this day because they attack very much left-sided. So he had a fantastic defensive duel day and what, what a player he is. Yeah, yeah well, it was excellent. And this is it. And and so when you when you look at a game sometimes, you have to think about um, who's on the pitch, who you're playing against, and what you want them to do. So you think about it. So normally Trossard would play one of the wide positions. Trossard was forced to play centre-four, so Trossard is not going to be able to post up. So what do you want to do? You want to go and press them on, press into their half, and force them to go long. You force them to go along to Trossard, not Danny Welbeck, running the channels, by the way, who wasn't there, not into McAllister's feet, who wasn't there, turning around and knitting the play, not into Cansado, who's a second ball merchant, so he wasn't there. These are big players they're missing that affect their pattern, and so you need to force them out of a pattern. So by getting their heads down, playing in their half, really pressing onto them, and moving the ball quick into wide areas, which we do anyway, um, it's going to force their outlet, which was Lamptey, to stay back. So what you do is you make him stay back by keeping Martinelli high. You know, it's just it's just very, very smart. And about a year or so ago, um, we played Nottingham Forest in the in the uh, FA Cup in the white kit. Was it was it really last January? I think it was Tim nodding. Mm-hmm. Remember the full white kit than the no blood kit, right? So um and he played against a young man called Jed Spence, who started the game just like this. And ended the game as strong, Martinelli. And Martinelli says the hardest player he's played against. When I saw Lamptey making those tackles early on, I thought, you know what? It's another Jeff Spence day. But the difference in a year, in maturity of body, physical fitness, physique, speed, one year on, he wore that kid down. He wore him down, he wore him down, he wore him down until he couldn't stay with him. They were blowing, they were blowing, they were blowing. And for, for anyone who wonders, sometimes we all get a bit worried about young players well, and their development and how you measure it. That's that's one of my measures. Watching Martinelli versus Jeff Spence, who was very quick and athletic, one year later he wore Lamptey down and won the battle, scored the fourth goal sent him into the evening moonlight with a few <laughs> beers in his belly <laughs> to celebrate New Year's Eve. And, and that's the that's the wonderful thing about those two 21-year-olds. They're fantastic. They do what's required on the day for the team. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, Clive, um, I got to at least ask you, though, for the Martinelli goal, how... How close were we to an absolute meltdown against poor Martinelli for not sliding in Bukayo Saka? Um, I mean, it's results-based to say it all works out. He's in on goal. He he toe-pokes it through the keeper's legs. It's brilliant. But, man, I, I could feel the internet coiling up to have a go at Martinelli if he doesn't slide that across to Saka for a tap-in. Uh, credit to Saka doesn't, like, remonstrate. I mean, why would you? You've just scored a goal. But were you were you a little miffed that he doesn't just make the easy pass? It? And, and I guess more seriously... Is this just the one little issue left with Martinelli that he does tend to dribble with his head down, and if he doesn't get early pictures, he rarely gets a late picture. And and if he can get his head up a little more, I think, you know, maybe two years from now, he's he's sliding that ball across to an open player. Yeah, well, we've done loads of rewatches together, and I've mm-hmm. I've listened to you say a thousand times, why didn't he pass it here? Why didn't he pass it there? Mm-hmm. It's all very easy from the camera view that we have. From my <laughs> position, it was a very easy pass. <laughs> a very <laughs> simple pass. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually did have a look at his running, and I did like the way he ran with a lot of a level of control, rather than being at top speed. He ran with level of control. He wanted to keep the ball where he wanted to keep it, so he could score. 
actually think he's maturing very, very, very nicely. Ain't got a problem with him, mate. He runs looking at the ball sometimes, but um, no one can catch him. So feel free, do what you like. Can, yeah. can I have a, a, a nibble at that? Because Yeah, um, I was going to tee you up for it because also you said something on Twitter that I thought was interesting, Tim, which is just he's not always aesthetically the easiest player on the eye. Like, like yeah. he just he's so direct and so aggressive in his running and his and his pace, but like he, everything just seems a little right on the border. It doesn't always look as as fluid or as cultured. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. There's, there's a couple of things here. So um as you'll have seen, I was directly behind the goal. I didn't I know. I, so I couldn't have had like a better view in some respect. I was third row, so I was on pitch level. I, I'm telling you, I didn't know Saka was there. It wasn't until I looked when I was on the train back into Brighton Town Centre. I looked at my phone and I was like, oh, yeah. Like I did, Saka was in front of me. You know that... Um, yep we've mentioned it before, like the basketball gorilla experiment type thing. It was, mm-hmm. it was a bit like, I, I didn't see Saka at all because I could see the second that Martinelli collected the ball. I could see where he was going. So I didn't look anywhere else. I was like, he's, he's beelining towards goal. And like, and I, and I think, yeah, there is also, yeah, the thing I said on Twitter earlier about him not being aesthetically pleasing. Um, but uh, as it happens, I've already written my column for this week today because I've I've referenced it so many times about the influence of futsal on Martinelli. That is such a futsal goal, um, mm. right down to the way he toe punts it. Like, does that remind you of a Brazilian striker from the 90s? Um, Romario. Romario, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how did how did Romario come up? Futsal. How did Martinelli come up? Futsal. That's a futsal finish. That's a and in futsal, it's you like you make your decision and you go as quick as other because if you hesitate or you elaborate, the ball's gone, and that that influences Mart- Martinelli's output. And this is why you know um, Clive and. Paul, you both referenced him like wearing the opponent down. That's how he does it because because it's futsal. It's like he just wears you down. And three of the goal, the three open play goals are all Martinelli, right? He he is the one who puts the ball into the dangerous area every time. Doesn't do it in a pretty way. Doesn't do it in a way that catches your attention. But he does it. And uh, yeah, so I, I I had no problem with him not passing because I could just. He had the picture in his mind and he did exactly what he wanted to do. And I think he would have needed to have broken stride to put that across goal a little yeah. bit. Which is the risky. thing is from the camera angle, you can see Saka arriving, but he's arriving behind Martinelli and Martinelli's in a dead sprint against a very fast player. I think he would have had to hold up slightly to see Saka and pass it. And if he holds up, I mean, Lamptey does make a despairing dive right at the end that almost gets there. I think if he breaks stride even a little bit, it's probably not a goal. Clive, it sounded like you had something you wanted only, to say. Only one thing. I just wanted to say, I've Tim's mentioned this before about futsal. I just wanted to mention this because futsal is now part of a lot of the academy programs and has been for a few years now. They do this on a skills night. So they, they get the young kids and they, and they do futsal one night a week as part of their training. And it is all about ball manipulation, using the sole of your feet, flat, flat-footed trainers, very flat, no studs on them. And and you can see the way Martinelli, Tim's mentioned it, where he receives the ball, flicks it, rolls it toe pokes it's all that type of ability to help build personality in young men so some teams use cages and some teams use uh, futsal so it is part of the it is part of the academy training we're going to start seeing a lot more of this now I'm not I don't know if Arsenal do it but I know some that do but um, yeah I just want to say that and mm. 
And also, it's not a coincidence, right, that he's scored in each of the last two games and in both of them, you'd say, oh, maybe the keeper should have saved that. Not a coincidence because, again, something that's really difficult to explain is the rhythm of his finish. Mm. You get accustomed to a certain rhythm when you see someone bearing down on goal. Martinelli always takes it just a half a second earlier than you think he will. And even like the the assist for Inketia again, Big futsal goal, chop the ball to your feet because it's a smaller, heavier ball for people who don't know. You have to smash the back of it and you have to smash it along the ground and look at like the majority of Martinelli's finishes are either the toe poke or smashing the back of the ball, particularly with his left foot. And so, yeah, there's, there's, there's just so much of that in him. And when you start piecing it together, how... There's two goalkeepers in two games who've looked a bit silly with Martinelli finishes. It's not because they're rubbish goalkeepers. Yeah, I mean, so, well, well, Tim, the, the thing about this game that's so interesting, though, was how fast we got out of the blocks. And I'm curious, just like, it, it felt again like, I don't know why. I, like, I know we're a good team now. I know we're good. I know we are a legit title contender. But every game, there's that question in your mind, like, oh, will this be the game where... We we see the cracks go. Oh, this is a good team. They can have the ball. That you know, it's away. It's a bogey side. You know, away games are always hard. And like, we came out of the block so fast. We have a goal in the second minute. Through seven minutes of this game, we had had five shots to Brighton's none for about one expected goal already. Um, Post shot expected goals like one point two, one point three expected goals, and like we were just absolutely blitzing them. And I'm wondering how it was received, you know, at the the away end. Is is there still a sense of, is this real? Holy shit, is this real? Or or have have you, do you find yourself now at ease with it? Because I, I have to admit, as much as I know we're good, like I still watch us storm teams out of the blocks and think, wow, we're, we're really this good. This isn't a mirage, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. So just before this game, you know, like Brighton Stadium's kind of in the middle of nowhere because it's a new build. So not easy to go to the pub before. Well, you can go to the pub before, but it's not one where you can leave 10 minutes before kickoff. So Mm. most people will have a drink in the concourse at Brighton at some point. So when the City result was coming through, most of us were there (laughs) clutching our beer, looking up at Sky (laughs) Sports News and, you know, and we, we were like, me and my mates were like, we've got to stop looking at the score. Like we turned our backs to the screen. It's just like we'd heard Everton had equalized and we were like, right, let's try and avoid this. But you can't because everyone's watching. <laughs> and then you hear this, what? Go up and it's 11 minutes stoppage time. You're like, oh. Christ. And then like I've got It was half... every bit as bad as you think it might have been, by yeah. the way, Tim. Like it was I know. excruciating. <laughs> like did, was it John Stones or someone who had a big, big chance in like the hundred and first minute or something from yeah. the highlights? But yeah, yeah, it led to a corner kick that was like the last play the yeah. game. Like it literally was scrambled away like three different shots from within the six yard yeah. box. <laughs> and, and that's it. And so you already like I've always said that my favorite and least favorite things about being in a title race are you don't just support your own team and go through it. You go through it with every every game that your rivals are playing. And that's what this felt like. And you had Newcastle drawing as well, which was like that was more a half an eye situation. And all of us were just like 
we, we can't deny the pressure's on. And it reminded me a little bit of the Chelsea away game when um, I've referenced this before, Miguel Delaney you know, tweeted like, is this the first time this season that there's pressure? There's actual pressure on Arsenal because this is, you know, I think results had maybe gone our way that weekend and we were playing last and it was a big game and we just went and bossed it. And it's it's like the same here. Like we were all, you know, and there was just like a big... You you can't stop that when like result other results go your way and everyone's like this is a massive opportunity this is a massive opportunity and like the word I'd, I'd use for the way Arsenal are playing at the moment is template we just stick to that template of pushing teams back and you know as Paul referenced we've scored so many early goals this season because we clearly have like a set menu. Um, of what we're going to do in like the first 10 minutes or so. And and at half time... We were determined, Tim, that the football in the first five, 10 minutes would be played in their half, not yeah. in our half. Exactly, which, which is an, another really... I, I'm sh- sure this isn't why we did it, but that's another good way of getting the nerves out of you, you know, <laughs> like just like get all that nervous energy out in the first five, 10 minutes. But at half time, the conversations I was having in the ground was just like we you know we were we were giddy it was just like and then you start to get to this you know are we are we going to do it we we might do this you know we might do this mm-hmm. and then you start having the conversation about and actually if we don't from here it's going to start to feel <laughs> like really bad and then i had one of those wonderful urinal conversations at half time where the guy was the just like yeah the guy just looked at me and he just went we're going to win the fucking league and i was like <laughs> i was like <laughs> And I was like, shush, shush, don't say it, don't say it. You're going you're gonna to break it. He was like, mate, look, all the pressure is on us tonight and this is what we're turning up with. And and I was like, I know, I know, but don't say it, don't say it. But you got to be like, careful Jokingly, but, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to get too much into anatomy, but if you get too excited while you're trying to have well, a of wee, course. the male anatomy does not allow that to happen. <laughs> so you got you to be careful about talking about titles while you're trying to. Uh, of trying course. To and we ended up arm in arm. And no, no, we didn't. We didn't. After, but, oh, okay. but, you know, it <laughs> was after you left. Or, it, yeah. it was no, like. No, no kink shaming here. Th- there was a sense of giddiness. That's what I'd mm. say. This kind of shit, like this feels real now. And, and this team looks real. And, and in case you're wondering, like, what kind of influence Zinchenko had, he played 59 minutes. Um, he was the first sub. He had the most touches of any Arsenal player. And that was in just 59 minutes. He's so influential. But, but Paul, the other player that, again, I, I, I feel like we could just repeat our old podcasts um, because, once again, during our period of dominance, the man who is proving to be in the conversation for player of the season in the Premier League in a world where Erling Holland is um is just zapped out of existence, you know, if he's blipped, then uh it's it's Martin Odegaard. And and he had all the tricks out again. He had that, like I said, that little in the box slipped back. What does he do? He like drags it back and back heals it between two defenders into Martinelli. He goes Ozil bounce pass shot from 15 yards out, 16 yards out to score his goal. Um, he was just imperious once again. And, and and doing the snide little stuff, the early tackles, early fouls to stop counters, um, taking the ball off people, you know, killing people dead with, with silky touches. Once again, um, it, it feels unnecessary and redundant, I guess, to just heap praise on Martin Odegaard, but it would be silly not to. Are you, are you as enamored of this performance as you were of his performance against West Ham? Yeah, more so, I think. Uh, mm. 
he brought even more of it. His tricks always have a purpose. Uh, they just happen to be the best optimized way to get the ball to where he's trying to get it to. Um, he's so switched on when we're on the ball. He's the first to switch on when we lose the ball. Um, and in that, again, periods, those blistering periods where we're determined to play in their half in a very tight area of the pitch and win the ball back, he's the guy they're all keying off. Uh, he's the one who brings the same... I think we talked about this recently. He's the one who brings the same level of intensity, the same switched onness as Gabriel Jesus. And one of the reasons, like, Eddie's doing pretty well, I think, doing all the same kinds of things. But it's Odegaard and maybe to a lesser degree, Martinelli, who are the guys who are maintaining that intensity, that switched onness, And just his combinations, him and Saka has been a relationship that we've seen uh, dominate over the last, you know, calendar year or so. But him and Party, him and Zinchenko in this game, um, just... It's those magic little combinations, pulling those players together in the same area of the pitch, nice and tight, is how we ping it around quickly, uh, leave them for dead after a short rondo and spread it wide to Martinelli, who brings it back the other way. The number of players we get in the box because of that. uh, You know, if you swing it out to Martinelli and you have three or four or five players who've just done a rondo with with, uh, Odegaard on the right-hand side of the pitch, those guys are all streaming in. We had like six, seven players in the box, I think, on that clever little Zinchenko play uh, four minutes into the game. It's like, I've heard about, you know, we used to be really pleased when we get three in or four in, right? (laughs) This wasn't off a corner. This was off open play. We had, I think we'd six and one Zinchenko or somebody else, uh, maybe Chaka standing on the edge of the box. We basically had seven players and party pushed up and the two center backs all because of the tempo we're playing at uh, leaves their players in tatters littered all over the pitch as we play around them, swing it to the other side. Of course the game didn't, you know, at some stage things settled down and deserve ball playing it around the back, etc. But we didn't wait in the first 10 minutes to see what Deserby w- might want to do playing around from the back, zipping, zipping it through the middle. Um, Odegaard is the guy who brings that heat. Uh, you add Zinchenko and Party to that, and that's one hell of a midfield. Uh, and one of them isn't even a midfielder. Mm. Yeah, I, I just... Like, I, I love that things are working the way ideally you'd like them to. And what I mean is... When you build through a young team, one of the ways you can get better is just organic improvement, right? Saka continues to improve. Martinelli continues to improve. Odegaard continues to improve. And they are all doing that and doing it exceptionally well. Like this, We've, we've kind of elided the Saka goal because it seems very easy. But <laughs> like it's a really cool finish, again, to, to give us a lead. Um, and, and he just, he, being in the right place is a skill. Clive, the the pattern of play, though, is interesting, right? I mean, we discussed this in, in a bit of a preview, that Brighton are a team that are going to want to have the ball. And they did start to get their foot on the ball. And we played in a mid-block, which is not something we've seen us do a lot this season. And I'm curious how you felt about that period, you know, as we started to sink into a mid-block. I'm not talking about the period where they were very well on top after the subs, but sort of 20-ish minutes, 30-ish minutes up until, you know, 
we were three three nil up and and thinking we were out of sight and off in the distance. But like, I I have not concerns. I I have some misgivings about the way we played during that period because I thought that we, you know, we we didn't always hit our spots for like like they were able to 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 find some some good positions. But the thing that I think Brighton did is they had a lot of sterile domination if we were going to say it the other way around right they had the ball without really getting it anywhere but if there was one thing that worried me a little bit it was Saliba he did have a few mistakes before he really got it wrong and and gave away a goal early on like in the 12th minute he got caught in the wrong side um uh, on the touchline side and and it gets into the box and scrambled away Gabriel does well to help him out once White does well to help him out another time what do you think about our, our mid block defending and in particular Saliba who to me Still looks like he's got a lot of rust to knock off from the World Cup. Yeah. So what do we what do we do? So we're playing well. We're you have to remember the team talks are going to be quite similar. Brian wants to play in our half. We want to play in their half. So we have to be more aggressive, more dual orientated to keep them back and be and technically be better, quicker, faster to the to the regains. Manage those, regain, retain, play through, form your triangles. Right, so the big thing for me in this game that I took away was the recognition of the triangle when it wasn't there, how we formed it to create passing lanes to get out. That killed them. That to me was the number one thing. I know you're you speak a lot about um, consistency, and there are principles of mm-hmm. play which we are implementing in every single game, and the players know what their roles are to create those triangles and diamonds to progress the ball with quality and skill to go out, to come back in. And it, and it's beautiful. But when it doesn't work, around that period, there was a couple of things that went wrong. A couple of slack, slack passes. There was an Eddie handball when he came when he came from deep, a little bit late, arrived late, handballed it. And two or three inaccuracies led to a couple of shots, and they got territory. So we have to do, as a team, you've got to say, you know what? They're having their moment. Let's let them have their moment, but we're going to shift into a into our four four two mid-block. And that's it. And what you don't want to do is give people space like we did when the subs came on. You don't want to give them dog legs in the back line. You don't want to give them space because space can score against you, if you see what I mean. If you leave the space, space will score. They will go through into that space. They want to pull you out. They want to go into that area when a player leaves it, and then they want to pop in and score. And so by standing still and just shuffling from side to side, you can wait to test their patience. They may rack up the passes earlier, and I looked at Stat zone today, and we're not in the top 10 passing combinations, but um, we won the XG, didn't we? Right? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing 32% possession in this game, Clive. Now, some of that's game state because late on they dominated it, but but I think it was 2.9 to 1.2 on XG, 14 to 9 in shots, and we were out shooting them 14 to 4 at one point. So, when this game was a contest, and some might say it was a contest till the end, I don't think it really was, but when this game was a contest, we dominated the danger, you know, we dominated the 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 moments of of real consequence, if that makes we, sense. We looked ruthless. They were getting they were getting more and more tired running backwards, and and we were separating away from them late in the game. So, on Sleeper, I mean, he did. I think his last game was November the twelfth. He played half an hour against Tunisia in the World Cup. He didn't play for like six weeks, basically. If he had a six week injury, we'd be saying nothing about it. We'd be saying he needs a bit of time to get back. Uh, if you watch that Tunisia game, we spoke about it in one of the podcasts we did. He was not good for the first part of that Tunisia game. He did not play well. And it made me realize something about him, that he needs to play. He needs to be in condition. He needs to be tip-top 
And we had him tip-top, playing a lot of minutes, a lot of time. And that's that's how he needs to roll. He's a bit like Granite Xhaka that way. He needs to play all of the time, you know? And then as soon as he does, he can keep to his peak levels. And he just we just have to play him through it, right? You know, on that on the goal, he wants to let it run across him, hit his leg, back into play. I'm actually glad the guy scored. If he takes him out, it's a penalty, a potential, well, it's definitely a yellow card, which brings him to five game suspension, one game suspension, sorry, for five bookings. And it could have been a red card, potentially, if, if he gets it wrong. And so I'm glad he made a mistake. They score, we we just we go away, and he gets another game in his legs. I think once he plays for it, he'll he'll be absolutely fine. And we again, recognition of stress. Gabriel is, is stepping up, Ben White's stepping up. And so Sleeper's done been a major factor for us, isn't he? Sweeping round. He's saved a lot of rusty players next to him on occasion, so maybe now we need to save him until he gets his legs back under him. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried. I mean, Tim, do you have any concern about the Saliba thing? Like this was let's just say it, this was not a good game for Saliba. I think mm. the 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 part about Saliba's game that I tend to just expect is a sort of silkiness, a sort of smoothness, right? In terms of he does everything with a cool head and a calmness, runs alongside a player, doesn't dive in. Um, and the passing, it's vertical, it's it's accurate. I think that some of the verticality has gone out of his passing. I think some of the calmness in um, stressful situations has gone out of him a little bit. And I can understand he hardly yeah. played for France. He, you know, he's the Premier League, the pace of the Premier League is relentless. Um, and and he did suffer a disappointment in the World Cup, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. Like that, just because you're not playing doesn't mean you're not invested. He was part of that squad. So mm. Any concerns? I mean, any thoughts on on the form of Saliba? Because it, if you had to nitpick Arsenal right now, it'd be very, very, very hard to do because we're a very, yeah. very good team. The nitpick would be in his two games back, Saliba's looked a little rusty, and that would probably be the extent of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and look, again, I think, again, it's a question more of timing than anything. And we talked about that when we broke down the West Ham goal, um, the kind of just half a second out and it's the same here really like with with that Brighton goal we've seen him do that hundred times already where you know what he's going to do just let the ball drift across his across his body he's going to steer it out of danger you know go Mm -hmm. over towards the corner of the penalty area and play from there which is just good defensive play you take the ball out of the danger area you get it back under control then you play that's what you plan to do he took his eye off it for half a second it hits him on the on the shin um and that's you know that that's a question of timing i'd have been a lot more worried if like he hadn't been there at all um or he'd been like five yards further up or tried to play off like he was in the position he needed to be in about to do the thing we've seen him do a hundred times before and the timing's a bit off just like the timing was a bit off against West Ham so to me at this moment in time it just looks like a little bit of tuning and I think Clive's right like I watched um, when he came on against Tunisia he wasn't that good you know just clearly lost like maybe a little bit of rhythm and you know that that will impact different players differently Ben White didn't play for six weeks come back Looks like he's benefited from the rest, if anything, because um, he looks as imperious as ever. But he's 25 and Saliba's 21. Like Ben White's been playing regular football. He's barely missed a minute for Leeds, Brighton, Arsenal, you know, in the last kind of four years or so. So maybe it stands to reason that he he comes, you know, he comes back to the rhythm a little bit more quickly. Whereas Saliba's 21, this is, you know, Marseille loss. Well, I, I guess he has been playing regular football, to be fair. This is the first time he's been playing regular Premier League football. And it, his, it's just his timings are half a second off at the moment. And 
Um, I think he's got enough credit in the bank for me to say, well, for everyone to say that that that's not a big issue at this moment in time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Look, I still want to get to the results around the league a little bit in the context of where we are in the league and look ahead to Newcastle and get to how the subs destabilize us and the end of the game and if there's anything to worry about there. But, Paul, before we do all that, I think we should be on uh, Enkedia watch nonstop because obviously like scrutinizing every single thing Enkedia does on the pitch is the most important thing we can do as Arsenal supporters right now. Um, it, it, there's something so beautiful, right, about this panic we had about losing Gabriel Jesus. And we've been back two games post-World Cup. And we've gotten a goal from Saka, from Enkedia, from Martinelli in the first game, and Saka and Enkedia and Martinelli and Odegaard in the next game. And, like, it's easy to have an inferiority complex versus names, right? You look at some of the names on these other squads, and they're bigger names, but are they bigger players? I mean, maybe Holland right now is the biggest of them all, literally, uh, and in terms of his play. But I'm not sure you'd swap out, you know, and any of these guys. And, and the fact that they're all doing it and lifting one another is great. And what's nice about this game is um, I, I think – there was more balance to the flanks in this game than there was in the last game. So that was nice to see the Enkedia goal. Like you got to be careful about praising Tappins because people will say you're looking for reason to praise it. I do think that there is a thing that center forwards are supposed to be able to do, which, which is find where the spaces anticipate where the ball's going to be gamble, make the early run arrive on time at the near post. You know when it, what drove us nuts about Lacazette he just was never arriving. He never arrived. And to be fair, that's because it's hard to get an Uber onto the pitch to pick him up and take him to the box. But like, I I will probably say something you won't like, which is I don't think Eddie is contributing much in buildup right now. I don't, I don't think he's been as effective doing the Jesus thing, which is to be expected. He's not going to ever be Jesus. But I think what he's doing as a striker, the goal he scored against West Ham and the goal he scores here, the quintessential center forward play. And that's something that, is is not a bad thing to have. So the the goal, the general play, what's your what's your feeling about Eddie's second uh second chance to be the main man up front? Yeah, so I think there's a few ways to look at it and all of them it's like looking at a mountain from a few different sides, right? All of them are a view of the same mountain. Uh, if you were to black box Eddie and Ketia, the player and just say our striker up front as you pointed out, we had three goals from our front three. Now we've had four goals from our front four, adding in Odegaard. Everybody's playing. Everybody's functioning. Whoever that guy in the box there is doing apparently plenty more than the minimum required for that job to keep it rolling. Of course, Gabriel Jesus is world class. He's not world class as a finisher, so mm -hmm. he must be world class for everything but finishing. And he is. So, like, Eddie's just not going to be as good at every other dimension of the game. What's interesting when you look at Eddie's radar, as Scott did for us, versus Gabriel Jesus's radar, where he lays out, you know, contribution in each area, passing, mm -hmm. uh, percentages, uh, basically tracks whether you do uh, all the blocking and tacking, the build-up work, the defensive, all the good things in terms of... of uh, possession and they're very 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 similar profiles it's just gabriel jesus is about 10 percent more of everything across the board now on the other hand 
Eddie's still learning how to play like a Gabriel Jesus. So over time, he might even chip away at that for us over the next week or two. I thought he was really good. I know we don't remember him being particularly outstanding in this game, but he's got basically the same number of tackles. Uh, sorry, he's got decent number of tackles. He's got four fouls, which is good. Those will be tactical. So he's he's jumping in at the right moments. He's got as many passes, basically, as the other two lads, Saka and Martinelli. He's got as many touches as the other guys. So he's not that guy just sitting there waiting for a bit of service. Yeah, can I he, give you something interesting? Just r- yeah. really quick, just funny. Enkedia, 34 touches. Martinelli, 37 touches. Saka, 34 touches. Shaka, 34 touches. Party, 31 touches. <laughs> Aside from Odegaard and Zinchenko, who are at 42 and 43, um, like... Enkedia, Martinelli, Saka, Shaka, like just an so, even amount of involvement, you know, just on the ball. Yeah, there's a real balance, interchangeability. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's total football. Almost and so. mm-hmm. I gave him a stock rising, not because he's great, but because anytime he's he's good and not the story, he's a stock rising for us, at least for another game or two, till we fully settle into, oh, this guy should be good. And uh, that's two games in a row. He's more than done the minimum requirements, the minimum viable for that position. I think he's pretty good. He wasn't outstanding. But the goal, right? Uh, tap-ins are only tap-ins if you do the necessary. So the first thing he does is he peels to the right to def- to um, stretch their defense. Nothing mind-warping about it, but he knows where to be and what to do, and he's a threat, so they go with him. So mm-hmm. Martinelli's 1v1 versus his guy. Martinelli takes his cross slash shot. Eddie's on the blind side of his center back so that he can't get to it, except he nips to the right side just at the right moment. So the center back's like, holy fuck, where did he come from? (laughs) And Eddie's in open space in the six-yard box. I mean, those two things shouldn't be in the same sentence for the other team. But he is, and he he doesn't need to squeeze it past the keeper. He's got the goal at his mercy. I mean, it's all the kind of stuff. It's not brilliant. But it's what Eddie will always do. He'll peel to make space. He'll swing back in at the right moment. He'll jump in front of his center back. He'll see the center back's number until it's time to flip to the other side. And he's in open space. And it's just a very, very nice move. All credit to Martinelli. But Eddie's always going to hit his spots at just the right moment. Yeah, me. Can can I just overegg the pudding here as well? Because oh, I feel like I need to. It, it, it's actually, and again, maybe I'm influenced by the fact that it was like two yards in front of me and I was at pitch level. It's actually quite a clever finish because the goalkeeper, he's massive, by the way. That's one thing I noticed. But he, you know, he's out like that, you know, star jump, you know, Martinez World That's Cup Kasuna, star. isn't it? He's uh, Irish. <laughs> and, and he, you know, he's like, and he just, but he steers it away. It would have been very, very easy for him to just go like straight into the goalkeeper, you know, mm-hmm. like, but he has the presence of mind. I know he's two yards out. So look, I'm not telling you it's like the second coming of Ronaldo or anything like that, but just the <laughs> way he angles his foot to take it away from the goalkeeper's dive. It's actually a very clever finish. As well. Maybe very clever is overdoing it but it's a clever finish and it, he could have missed or rather the keeper could have just smothered it if he hadn't done that yeah um by the way one thing i will say that that put a damper on this game a little bit right around halftime a couple of silly yellow cards handed out anthony taylor seemed like he was pretty intent on 
on making himself the center of attention at the point that he felt that maybe the game was not going to be as interesting. And Saka now clinging to um, to four yellow cards, trying to get through to the period where they reset. I believe Thomas Party is as well now. Um, Gabriel, I think, is as well. So just uh, just a couple of tight ropes to walk. I'll have to double check those, though. I, I, I'm I'm certain on the Saka it's one. Saliba. Clive, mm-hmm. Saliba, yeah, Saliba, not Gabriel. Uh, Clive, did you want to weigh in on Enkedia before we start to get how the game changed in the second half? I just wanted to say I thought he did some good stretching runs, some channel runs, which we don't always get. And I thought what I thought was really smart. Again, I love seeing the recognition of when you need to help your teammate out. So Saka had a big defensive day. And so Eddie stretched into the right-hand corner a couple of times. So I thought, yeah, mate, I like that. That's what you need to do. Your mate's doing all the work, stopping their most dangerous player. You go and now do some of his forward running. And that's what a team is. And I really think that's the sort of stuff I look for. Um, I thought I thought he was better this game than the last game. I, I really did. I thought he was far more team-orientated. Whereas the last game, I felt he was trying to prove to us all that he, could, he deserved to be in that shirt. Now he scored mm. the goal. I think he feels like he's part of the team. I think that's a big step forward. Yep. And I mean, his goal makes it 3-0. And I thought for sure at 47 minutes at 3-0, it was going to be a walk in the park. Um, And I think the manager did as well because at 3-0 on the hour mark, the fullbacks come off. And from that point, I mean, it is an astonishing shift in the game. I think the field tilt went 94% or something like that to to Brighton after the fullbacks changed. And I I really want to dig into this with you, Clyde, because like it it really is. And and I want to be clear about something, right? Because I think there were some people that were critical of Arteta making that change. It's too destabilizing this, that, and the other thing. Look, you got games coming thick and fast. You got Newcastle in three days. You're up three nil. There's not a change I'm going to be critical of up three nil you know, where I'm going to criticize the manager. You have got to be able to manage a 3 nil lead with 30 minutes left in a game. So I'm I'm inclined not to, you know, not to get too upset. But the field tilt was 95.8% to Brighton. 95.8% to Brighton after the substitutions. Um, you know, so I, I mean, it, that, that it definitely was the big change in the game. And I'm just curious, Clive, how you think about the difference that made, Tomiyasu certainly looked rusty. I mean, in losing Alexander Zinchenko, we did lose a measure of control, but we had already sort of been sitting back into a mid-block. What do you think, in particular, made that such a difficult change for us to come to grips with and, and gave Brighton such a foothold in the game? Honestly, I may be the wrong person to say on this because I I was I was having truffle hummus and a halloumi at this moment in time, right? So um so that I didn't was more feel more fun than, than the last 30 minutes of this game. <laughs> and uh, and, a, and, a, and a raspberry daiquiri, right? So I didn't feel like uh the the stress you guys feel. But what I will say is I sat here about 10 months ago, 8 months ago talking about how I wanted him to trust more players. And you can't keep playing the same team because when you're going to need them, they're not going to be ready. And we've got some big games coming up. And there's a there's a chance that Tommy Asu might play left back in some of those games. And and you know, and and so we're gonna we're gonna need them. And the only way they're gonna get ready is given the fact we've spoken about Saliba and we can see what happens when you're not ready. Did you watch Gabriel and some of those early friendlies when he was rusty? 
You know, we the only way they're going to get ready is if they if they play. You know, and I think Brighton took off Trossard as well, didn't they? So when I went, and so I'm thinking they think the game is dead, and suddenly the game wasn't dead. You know, and they brought on a young kid to the fourth score his first goal, which he would never have got if Lever was sharp. So I I didn't look into it too much and think this was all about, you know, the substitutions. It's it's just it's just the game, the rhythm of the game. We probably conceded one goal more than we should have done, and that was on a pure mistake. The edginess came with the offside goal. Then we'd have thought, oh, okay. So you ended up watching it live that period. You you walked away with with a scary emotion of what could have been. Well, I'm thinking, you know, listening on Twitter or trying to watch it, I'm thinking, well, the game's dead. They take off their best players, and we take off a couple, which is the right thing to do because we've got some big games. We want them fit. We want Thomas Party fit. We want these guys on the pitch when we really need them. And we just have to ride it out, right? So I... I can tell you what happened on the Tommy Asigo, what he didn't do right. You know, he presses out of his hole and doesn't press out. He doesn't press out. He doesn't go all the way out. He presses out and stops, allows him to turn around and pass into the hole that he's just left. Now, when he's sharp, he's right up, right up against them, bang on his heels, don't get around, don't get his head up, can't see a pass. They have to turn that, go back to the semicircle. But he wasn't, he just went, he just trotted out to get involved. And that's the dog leg that a team needs to go and score, right? But you guys were probably better placed to tell me the intricacies of what actually happened. I just felt it was just a, a game flow, game state issue, and we just have got a bit sloppy because we were in total control. Yeah, and and it is tough, right? You have two. Zinchenko is one of our controlling players. He comes off. Thomas Party is one of our controlling players. He comes off. Um, ben White, you know, I, I think severely underrated in terms of how he helps us keep that that sort of three two five shape. Uh, he comes off, and suddenly you know you're playing with El Neni and you're playing with Tierney and you're playing with Tomiyasu. And oh by the way, instead of Jesus, you have Enkedia, which is you know a little step down in terms of control and possession. And and I look, I thought we looked kind of tired. I thought we looked fatigued. I thought you know I mean the weather's not great. That that pitch is a just a bit heavy. We know that from from playing there before. I, I think we lost a bit of a spring in our step. And I, I think this is the other hard thing. One of the things I've really praised about this team is the way we play just makes sense. It can accumulate a lot of points, Tim. And so when we're ahead, we keep playing that way. When you're behind, you naturally play that way. I don't think we necessarily have the right group or the right mindset or or even that much practice playing with 32% possession. And 4% field tilt, you know, where we're pinned back into our defensive third. I don't think we're set up to do it. I don't think we do a lot of it. And I think it's very uncomfortable for us. And I think when, you know, when a team that is designed to play in the attacking third starts to spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the defensive third, you're going to start to see the way it's not necessarily well suited to that. If I had to be critical of Eddie, actually, which I'm willing to be in this one moment, I thought Eddie was late getting to his spots a few times when when we started to sink deeper. I thought Eddie was slow to to press the ball. You've got to press the ball when you're sitting deeper because you you cannot give a Premier League player five, ten yards to play that ball in. And those balls between the center back and the fullback, between Tomiyasu and Saliba, they were being played by Eddie's man. Clive, you're, you've raised your hand twice. I, I cannot yeah, overlook that. Please come back. Only because I wanted to say... This is where we have to go. So what we do, we look at we look at the substitutes 
and we think, oh, we've lost these players come out, these players come in. But our three fours all played 90 minutes. They all mm-hmm. played 90 And that, to me, is the issue. If we have fresh springing forwards, then we can stretch the pitch, we can press onto them. And and I think, I actually think, and I watched Saka in my little rewatch today, and he was walking, and he was walking on purpose. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm all right with it because we have to literally rest our players on the pitch. That's the truth, right? We've got no fours to bring on that can stretch the game. The, the, Clive, I was I was thinking it's so funny you say this because I'm like, we're going to play Newcastle in three days, and we can't take any of our front three off. We're taking off fullbacks to rest. We can't rest our front three in a uh, game where we the, have a three goal lead. Eddie hasn't played ninety minutes in six months. Like, now he's played 180 in, in four days or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, and every other team which we're about to talk talk about, I mean, Tim and Clive have often talked about this Christmas period. There's no reason people should be tired. They've only played one game in the last six weeks, but that's not how it works. Everybody looked tired this weekend. Yeah, and, and, and the, the manager tells you whether, like, with a three-goal lead, he still didn't think, oh, I'll bring on Marquinhos for Saka, I'll bring in Vieira for Martinelli. He did not do that. And you'd like to be able to do that, and that you know that's why the January transfer window still feels big to me. Clive, were you done with your with your point there? About I, I am done. I just, I just, I, again, if you guys think the fullbacks were rubbish, if you guys think that Anelli was rubbish, then that's that's your no. prerogative. I just looked at it and said to myself, you know, my view, you're as good as your forwards. I always say this, and mm-hmm. when your forwards are naturally done their job, got four goals in the bin, they're naturally going to have a moment of okay, we're just about done here. And that allows the other team to get confidence, and and that's it. That's all, and they can move the ball around yep, and, and totally get into great. our area. So for me, when we sort that forward bench out, by the way, we have got Smith Rowe, Jesus who are injured, and we need to buy one or two. That's a that's a podcast in itself. When they come back in, then these lot are all in trouble because we can step up the gear mm-hmm. again. And we really can. Yeah, and, and by the way, like it wasn't so much me saying that the, the subs were rubbish. It's more like parties, more of a. Uh, help in maintaining dominance on the ball than Elneny's going to be. And, you know, Zinchenko's going to give you a measure of control that Tierney doesn't. And, you, you know, all all up and down the line, you start to make a number of those kinds of changes. And and we did lose some control. But I think the forwards, you're right. There's a lot of culpability there in terms of not closing down. T- Tim, in terms of that period, here's the dumb thing. I Sometimes I just think the mood in the ground can make it feel like the game was more nervy. All right? Yes. it's 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 not ideal to let a team have all the ball in your defensive third for the last 20 or 30 minutes of a game. But the closest they ever got was two goals. They get it to 3-1, and we almost immediately in six minutes make it 4-1. Okay, they, they did get it to within one goal, but it's ruled out by the clearest offside you'll ever see, as I mentioned. I mean, miles and miles offside. <laughs> a kid. But to be fair, we had an opening goal against West Ham ruled out by the same kind of fractional yeah, yeah. half, you know, little click off, off a cleat. So what goes around comes around. Do, do you th- did, how nervy did it feel to you? Do you think that it's just it's the mood in the ground and the noise that's being made that contributes to a sense that that game is that that game is getting nervier than it is? Or do you think, based on how we were playing in the mood in the ground, like that that it started to feel like an inevitable collapse was coming? It it did feel nervy. It definitely felt nervy. I felt nervy. Everyone else did. Kind of a lot of the singing stopped, particularly because it was a bit of a roller coaster. Like they came back to three one. And and yeah, they, they they scented blood a bit. They I think I think there were just so many little things going on that added up in terms of like they kind of they didn't create a lot of other actual. Ch- they had a lot of territory, 
but like other than their goals, they didn't have a lot of chances. Um, I don't think, but also like I think it was a little bit. We thought the game was done. A little bit right. We got Newcastle on Tuesday. It's a big period. We need to kind of just see this out a bit, and then like at three one, everyone gets excited. Then it's four one, and you go oh. Phew, now it's over. And then all of a sudden off the back of a mistake, um, like where everyone's in the right position, really, it's 4-2. And and yeah, there, there was a, definitely a momentum shift. I think in terms of both of the fullbacks, I mean, um, I think you guys have covered it pretty well in terms of losing maybe some controlling players. Like Tierney did left-back stuff, I thought, really well when he came on. Like got mm. his tackles in, got his clearance in, like... As, as a defence, again, it's almost like the Eddie conversation. Like, we're, we're hand-waving the goals. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah, he scored twice in two games, but, you know, is he dropping in and linking up play and stuff like that? And it's it's so, like, um, it shows you how, like, football analysis, I think, has developed. And it's the same with Tierney. Like, nothing went down his side. Uh, none of the goals were down his side. He defended well and everything, but we're kind of like, yeah, but he's not in the centre circle playing 300 <laughs> passes, is he? Um, uh, Tommy Asu's the one who looked a little bit rusty to me. And again, that's I think that's kind of understandable. He hasn't been fit. I mean, for the last 12 months, he hasn't really been fit. I am a bit worried about that, that he doesn't seem to be able to shake this injury off in a year. And he's very mm. in and out. It's very stop-start. Um, I think maybe, um, I think also maybe a little bit of the logic, like as you said, like if you can't do this at 3-0 when you've got Tommy Asu and Tierney, your first choice fullbacks from last season. Yep. So these aren't bums we're bringing on their no. And that will have that will have informed the decision. It's like, I've got two really good fullbacks here. Why, if I can't bring them on at 3-0, then I might as well just not have a subs bench. But Tommy Asu was the one who looked a little bit uh, well, he looked quite quite rusty to me, and and again, I think part of the logic was probably, oh well, he's playing against like his international teammate, not just his international teammate, but he's just spent six weeks training against this guy, and I'm sure there was a sense of, oh, he'll be fine. And Tommy Asu's usually a great defender anyway. He was he was a little bit off his off his game here. He'll play against. I think his Oxford. positioning was bad. I think. Yeah. He, I think he got caught out. So the the interesting thing is, if you watch the first half, Ben White's tucked in pretty central when we're defending without yeah, the ball, yeah. and leaving. Who was playing on the left wing? Um, I guess Mitoma. Mitoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was kind of leaving Mitoma out there, and it was Saka's job to race back and engage with him if the ball went out wide. But Ben White was keeping the space tight centrally. I think Tomiyasu got a little too preoccupied with who was available outside of him, and there was that gap between him and Saliba that was opening up, and they exploited that quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. I also think, like again, like Clive said, I think there's a game state thing here. If we'd have started this game with Tomiyasu and Tierney, I I don't Mm. think this game would have turned out much differently. You can argue the... The cons of like everything we've said about Zinchenko, I still yeah. think we win this game by at least two goals if we start those guys. It's just you bring them on into this, and and you know if anything, I think Tommy Asu coming like he'll play against Oxford hopefully if he's fit, and and he'll work like that rust out of himself. He looked pretty decent at left back, um, you know, before the break and everything. So I'm not really worried about him. I, I think what it really brings out though is just how good Ben White 
looks like this kind of he's fantastic this kind of i i i really grew to like him at center back last season and do you remember we had a conversation before that palace game first game of the season and we were looking at well ben white right back and i said i wouldn't be surprised if that light survives the whole month of august and Mm -hmm. i felt pretty smug about saying that (laughs) i did not expect it to still be a thing on january the first and for me for ben white to look like I mean, is there a better right back in the league at the moment? Because he looks absolutely physically, technically just incredible. And we're talking about drop-offs from other players. If you'd have told me a year ago that Tommy Asu would come on as a sub and he would look like a drop-off from Ben White as a right back, like, you know, I'd, I'd just be like, what have you been taking? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- no, I-, I love Ben White's cutbacks, right? Uh, I've become a connoisseur of these things, and I just imagine what would happen if Kalasinac had got to that position and cut it back versus what does Ben White do every time? He always picks somebody out. It's always quality. Uh, I- it always has a purpose. Yeah, look, I think in general, this this felt a little nervy too, in part because like we knew how much is on the line. You know how much is at stake I think there was a part of it that like, you know what we really wanted? We wanted the three. No, we wanted the four. nil, so we could really thump our chest and be like, holy shit, we're going to win the league. And so because the game ended with a little bit of Brighton getting back into it, you know, I mean, look, you know, Ramsdale went into the dressing room and was probably having a fit, right? <laughs> like, you know, the play, the players don't, don't want the game to end this way. Paul, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one beautiful thing though, that happened during that period. So when they get it to three, one, well, the best thing you could do is make it four, one. And we do. The Martinelli goal is a great goal. The pass not the pass to Saka not being played, notwithstanding. But Paul, I don't know if you've been on the internet, but there's a video on the internet. And if you watch it, you may need to dim the lights and put on some some music. Uh, there are actually quite a few videos like that on the internet, but this particular video is a reverse angle. It is the the Arsenal goal camera angle of Odegaard's first time pass to Martinelli for that goal. Ah, yes, I've seen it. It is exquisite. Um, You know, there were so, there were a couple passes in the game. Thomas Partey plays a ball into Martinelli for the shot he takes that leads to the Enkedia goal that is just perfectly weighted. Um, And and how many times do you see an overlap, right? Just a simple overlap ball weighted too hard and the the player has to like race to the byline and then check back or, or it's left short. And I mean, just perfect passes, but that Odegaard pass kind of in swinging, I guess you'd call it, you know, kind of like it it curls in right into the stride of Martinelli first time up the pitch. It's, it's it's the Jorginho no looker. Now I know I've subtracted a little bit from that by mentioning Jorginho Jorginho. that there's another player who can play that, but like Mm -hmm. this is your quality kind of deep midfielder playmaker who like Odegaard has looked upfield. He knows what's on. He's praying party is going to roll the ball to him. Party's onto this. He's already looked upfield. You know, I think actually party looks out. Should he do it? Or should he swing it to Odegaard, who's in the better spot? He lays it off to Odegaard, who just does the no-look because he's already looked. Um, Martinelli's on it. His timing's perfect off the halfway line, so he's not offside. He, he blitzes Lamptey, who can't li- In fact, the only reason Lamptey lives with him is because uh, Martinelli has that cushion, and now he's all about control. Um the build-up to it, if I remember right, is Party's actually gone back into the box 
Hey, Paul, s- just a, back back off your mic just a little bit. I'm oh, okay. Sorry. Off you. That's my excitement. The genius of your yeah of your of your analysis here. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think uh, this all starts with party getting back, cutting out a counter in the box, knocks it to Chaka. Chaka knocks it back to him. Party then ha- is just about to make that choice. Do I first time it over the top or do I give it to Odegaard? He knocks it infield to Odegaard, who just does the no looker. Perfect arcing ball. It's a beautiful, beautiful video from behind. Go and find it out on the Twitters. And just a beautiful arcing ball. Perfect pace, perfect line. Beauty of a left field footer over on that side. It, it brings Martinelli in towards the box. Martinelli just needs to do everything right. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all he needs to do with each touch. And he does. Um, yeah, it's it's... It's a thing of beauty. It is. And and it is the goal that ultimately, I think, makes this game safe, even if it didn't feel that way. Clive, um, I don't know if you saw it. Did you catch the little gif going around the video of uh, Mikel pointing to his head and saying, you know, like, think, calm down, think, you know, pointing to his head. And and I I love it, except that it's redolent of Mustafi doing the same thing after he had just given away a terrible <laughs> penalty or something. Um, Mustafi, there's a very famous Mustafi pointing at his head saying think, but like there was a big smile on Mikel's face too. Kind of like guys, what are you doing? Settle down, calm down. Um, the offside, I do think saves us. I, I will say that I, this started to feel like one of the, you know what? There's just something about football, you guys. And I, you know, I can think of like Barcelona's famous comeback against PSG right, uh, in the Champions League. You can think of certain times. The, the Newcastle 4-4, there's something about football where you can feel it slipping away. And once that starts to happen, there's no stopping it. It, it becomes like an inevitability. And I do think that offside saves us because I think if that gets to 4-3, I, I'm not sure we see it out. What, I, what I'm curious to ask you about, though, Clive, is what do you think... Mikel's reaction will be not to the media, but behind closed doors to the guys. I think coaches sometimes like a win where there's a little meat on the bone to complain to them and work with them and say, you know, I think it's also nice to be put through a little bit of the ringer, a little bit of uh, uh, adversity, right? This is the first time I think I've seen the pressure get to the the lads a bit, you know, just look a little bit like, because there's no reason why they should have started to have the roof cave in on them other than nerves, so I'm curious, how do you think Mikel will have thought about this, address this with team? Do you think it'll just be, hey, don't worry about it, that was a great performance, it's a win, or do you think he will try to nitpick a little, get get stuck into this a little, use it as a as a teachable moment, given that it has been relatively smooth sailing for, for a while? Well, every, every game is a teachable moment, really, and um, whether it's be a preseason game or any game, you can always re-emphasize something that you want to re-emphasize, so... What I will say is he did an interview and he came in and he said what really pleased him is when he went into the dressing room, the players were already talking about how they could get better. And so he, that was his moment of the day. Because that means he's, the, the players are coaching themselves. And that's what you really want to get to, that people are fixing and coaching themselves. I was a bit worried. I sort of, but I was, don't forget, I'm, I'm, I don't, Worry as much as you. <laughs> Don't think anybody does, right? But um, I mean, and so I rang. Got to. <laughs> I rang. I rang my son at this moment. And said, "Mate, what's going on?" And he says, "Don't worry about it, Dad. It's all in. It's all in the. It's all. It's all in the bag." He goes, "They're just thrashing around." And I go, "Okay." So I was cool. 
You know, and I'll, <laughs> I'll speak to you, and it's like, Flipper, you've I, lost I 10 years of your life. Wait, wait. Now stop just for one second. I'm going to stop you. <laughs> Tim, am I the only one who was worried? Can I Can I get Can I get some uh, validation? No, no. I, I, I was... I was as well, and so were the two thousand nine hundred ninety nine people around me. <laughs> okay, good. All right, just just double check. Like I, I say, I'm, I'm, I can say I said earlier, I may be the wrong person to talk to on this one when it comes to those in game live feelings towards the end because I didn't feel the same because I was watching it remotely the the last half an hour. So, um, so yeah. So, but what I will say, and I, I want to talk about something, and I maybe I said it, but I'm not sure how clearly I said it. The, the recognition of the triangle on that fourth goal was just brilliant. When party stretches it, Odegaard comes from the side, bang, triangle. The goal is set by that movement. And then he flips it around the corner, which is just a, a standard pass. Once party stretches, he's got to link. So you heard me use the phrase linking and stretching. When one stretches, someone's got to link. And that's how you form your triangle. That's how you get things moving. And I'm seeing this more and more. The Eddie goal the other day, do you see how the triangle formed? Odegaard came in, formed the triangle. Eddie recognised it early, got himself set, rolled, goal. This is becoming really, really prevalent in what we're doing. Recognition of that is the key, and we're doing it so slickly and quickly. I, I'm, I am loving it. And, and more importantly, I've watched other teams today. I'm sure you're going to get on to that earlier. Mate, oh, they're, yes, not, they're not playing very well. I'm not seeing any of this. Right. You know, um, it, I'm not seeing any of this. I watched the Spurs game. My goodness. It's literally, it was so quiet. It was so quiet. And there's nothing, no pace, no cohesion, no movement. I I didn't, like I say, I maybe the wrong person to talk about stress because I, I walked away with the tactical beauty of our play even in a 30% possession game, there's more than enough to walk away with to say we can do that again next week and the week after. If you have three expected goals every game, you're going to win 99% of your games. Like at the end of the day, the thing that I like about this, if you look, go back to like the Unai Emery era, for example, and we will get to love for Unai Emery in, in a moment. There were some games we won ugly. We didn't have the ball. We didn't have the shots. We also like the statistics suggested we we deserve not to not to win those games what i mean is on balance the better chances were created by the opposition and we rode our luck in this game brighton did have the ball and the territory late but on the balance of the chances created at one point it was 14 shots to 4 with arsenal having like 2.8 expected goals to like 0. 0.4 0. 0.2 i like this was a game that we dominated the dangerous moments and like football is still about moments football is a moments sport and the dangerous moments were dominated by arsenal and i think tim we we can start to move on from this except to say like this is a ground we haven't had a lot of luck at you know, this is not a place we've necessarily played well. We haven't necessarily had the lineups that we'd want to put out or whatever you want to say about it. This is still a good, that's a good Brighton team. It's a good, and with, granted, they didn't have Caicedo and they didn't have McAllister. It's still a good Brighton team. Um, and we put four goals past him. Deservedly put four goals past him. Not fluky. Um, I just, I think every time I turn up to watch Arsenal, and then interestingly, every time I watch other Premier League games, it's not just the table that says we're at the top. I see the difference. You know, when you watch other Premier League games now, you know, it's funny, I used to watch, remember, Clive, you'll remember this. 
There was a city Liverpool game that was a couple seasons ago, not last season, but the season before. And the level was outrageous. And I remember we did a pod where we said, like, you just watch that and you think we're my, that's where we got to get to. That's what we have to get to. And Tim, when I watch us now and I then watch other teams, I go, we're, we're the team at that level. We're the team playing that yeah. football that other teams are going to watch and go, we, we need to hit that level. And it's incredible to see because it feels like yesterday that I was watching City and Liverpool play football that we we could not even dream of. And now when I watch other teams, I think they, they only dream of playing the way we do. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Clive referenced watching Tottenham. I watched Liverpool um, the night mm-hmm. before this game and just... And look, it kind of stands to reason they're changing their forwards around a bit and things like that. But that, that if there isn't look... a gambling inquiry into the the two goals that the own goals well, that were scored in that game, yeah, no like they keep going behind and Spurs keep going behind. We keep going in front in the first ten fifteen minutes of games, mm-hmm. and definitely, and it's that you know, like I said at the beginning, it's that repeatability, that template. I had a dig around uh, when I did my my column last week. I did like. A, dig around the data and what um because I was I was looking at like attacking improvement and I was like I'm expecting everything to go up and and, and everything more or less has gone up but what was interesting to me was that possession compared to last year hasn't actually it's gone up like our average possession this is before the Brighton game actually which will bring it down again it's like only one percent up on last year and like we're having like half a shot more on goal but it's the position like then I looked at like touches in the final third, shot up. Like we're having broadly the same number of touches of the ball, but where we're possessing the ball is completely transformed. And then you look at the shots, where we're shooting from, the XG has gone up a lot. So the number of shots hasn't gone up much. The the XG has gone up and like it's that shot selection, that's dominating territory and things like that. And, and, and then Tim, can I can I add a little bit? I think when you go and look at how often we hit, we launch it from Ramsdale, I think that's a big piece of it too. We don't, you kind of think of us building up from the back and building through mid- midfield, which we sometimes do, but we often just skip that and say, let's just play it yeah, in yeah. their half. That's yeah. why position, possession isn't that high, but like the attacking metrics, the final third metrics are really high. Uh, he launches every goal kick. Um, unless it's yep. exceptional circumstances. And in open play, unless it's just part of that kind of organic play, he's pretty happy to lump it upfield as well, and then we go from there. It's actually, yeah. in some ways, a hybrid with uh, kind of that way Liverpool have played, of why screw... Like, they can play from the back, but why screw around? Sometimes just get it up there, get it, especially against a Brighton team who is very good with a midfield block and all that kind of thing. Why fart around trying to get in and around them? Play it into their third and play football. Yeah, when you have the energy and when you have the... You can't do it for 90 minutes. And we like Brighton's just the classic game of we didn't need to do it for for 90 minutes and we couldn't have. It might be very similar to how we end up playing against City, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like... Just in closing, basically what I looked at in the data was what the average Arsenal game looked like last year. The average Arsenal game last year was about 1.7 XG to Arsenal to 1.3 to the opposition. Mm. So that's a narrow victory. And and it felt like that, didn't it? It felt like there were a lot of 1-0s yeah. where, <laughs> and to be fair, we... That's we, why we couldn't come back as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Goal. That's why we couldn't come back. Exactly. And, and to be fair, we did, hit, and, and 
Clive, to you know, to put um, to put a point on the amount of stress, Rob Holding did come on on eighty five minutes for Erdegaard. So that tells you Arteta felt the stress as well. But the average Arsenal game this year is something like two point three xG to zero point eight. So like we're creating a bigger gap um, in those games, and, and you know that's that's an average as well. And and actually, some of those averages I think are lower because we're getting games won earlier. So things like possession, like xG, I think they're maybe even lower than our dominance suggests because we're going, we're taking the lead early in games, and then kind of having an element of control after that. Mm. Yeah. Look, ultimately, it's it's another step on this path towards believing and then ultimately completing the dream of, of being Premier League champions. And with Manchester City dropping points, we are seven points clear at the top of the table. There, there's simply no hiding from it if you're an Arsenal fan who's been trying to hide from it. Uh, you know, it's too early. Let's don't, talk, don't talk about it. It's not, like There's no hiding from it. And there's no reason to hide from it because we're good enough to not have to hide from it. And like This is the other thing. If you want to hide from it and be like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to think about it yet. I don't want to admit it yet. Like City didn't beat Everton at home. <laughs> you know, like, like I know there's a sense that like, oh, they're all conquering and they just eventually will do it. And they may just eventually do it. But it's not like they're rolling over the Premier League right now and and they're right on our heels. There's seven points back and they've dropped some silly points. So there's a lot in this. Newcastle, by the way, failed to beat Leeds, failed to get a goal. But but Clive, I got to turn it over to you for how much you're enjoying specifically what's happening um, at, at Tottenham Hotspur. Because Antonio Conte... Is doing what Antonio Conte does, reminding them of the history of the Tottenham. Oh, these expectations yeah. are crazy. For us, fourth was a miracle. Really, the expectation here should be fifth, maybe sixth or seventh. We don't have the means. We don't have the players. It's a process. But, you know, the club knows. I was clear with the club. The players, the, the, the fans' expectations are crazy. You know, come on. Just Antonio Conte reminding Spurs fans what their position should be in the pecking order. They managed another point. And let's give them credit. little golf clap. Another 0.66 expected goals at home to Aston Villa, who served up a very good evening to them, beating them 2-0. How much are you enjoying that Tottenham's football, which was once praised as being so bad that the only way is up, right? <laughs> that was the thought, right? Oh, well, they're, they're winning and playing terribly, so naturally they're going to start playing well. No, turns out they're playing terribly still. They're just not winning as much anymore. How much are you enjoying the comeuppance uh, at Tottenham at the moment? I'm very much, and I'm not one for Schadenfreude, but I don't like personality analysis. And just because they've got a personality manager and they've got the personality England captain, people just make assumptions that they're good. And it really annoyed me that they got the top four last year, though I think it's part, you know, in hindsight, let's hope, well, look, it annoyed me they got it the, the way they did. They didn't do much for it, right? They just got, Kane and Son got hot for a period of time, and and that fed into people's narratives about them being a world-class pairing. Well, well as I've learned through doing these podcasts over the years, that two old blokes up front will eventually drop off, right? And um, mm-hmm. and and they're not getting any younger. And Sonny's crushed because he wanted to go to Liverpool in the summer and he didn't go. Kane wanted to get away, but his brother done a stupid contract, so he can't go. And so they focused on the international games in the meantime, building their building their brands. 
And we look at the team, and I, and I always look at the players. I look at the players, and the day I'm going to be scared of Davis and Matt Doherty, it'd be a long day, right? And um, and Eric Dyer can't even get in at the moment. I mean, gee whiz, did you see Eric Dyer in the last game? Shitting one with his tusk out for a corner, they, they, them scoring. <laughs> I mean, this stuff, we're talking about Saliba just having one mistake we can remember all season, right? So, um. It's it's just it's just stuff of it's just stuff it's just rubbish, right? So, this the Hoiberg is their playmaker. Well, Hoiberg's he, he, he's Matthew Flamini, right? That's it. And so, what what are we talking about here? They they suddenly could they have spent a lot of money on Basuma. He doesn't yeah. play. They spent a lot well, of money on Rashad. You know, I'll put my I, I, Basuma in a team where you need to get the ball back and tackle the ball and get the ball back when that's your role then he's fine. We put him next to Lalana and ball players inside and really good players like Mwepu and Kaiseido when Mwepu was playing, bless him. Then he can just sit there and he can munch the ball and pass it on to to other players to progress the ball. When you're passing it to Hoiberg, maybe you might as well keep it. Right, so your role is reduced. Right, Benton calls a nice player, but we you know it's not Modric. I think sometimes I, I really feel... I listened to his analysis. I mean, Stephen Sessi on 25 million quid, can't get a game. Just spent 20 million quid, can't get a game. What Ivan Perisic is legitimately their best player, and he's 106. <laughs> right? So, what it's, 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 I think it's, I, I, I watched this game, I watched this game on Sky today with Soonis, Redknapp, and uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. And I felt the Spurs fan deserved better. They deserve better analysis of their club. People actually understand what's happening. I felt the guy, David Graves, I think his name is, who was introducing the game, was better than the pundits. He was much better than them. And I'm thinking, no wonder our podcast is flying, because they're idiots on the TV analyzing these games. And <laughs> they don't be better and smarter than them. <laughs> they, they, don't know what, they don't know what they're watching. They can't see the pending doom that's around the corner for that club. And and I, I can see it, mate. And no matter how shiny your training ground is, no matter how much money you're going to make revenue when your new naming rights come in, no matter how shiny your ground is, and it is shiny, it only comes down to it, the fans want to watch good football. And you can't fool the punter. You can't fool him. And I got Even a if new they're t- as dumb as a Spurs fan. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a bit of work in the house, and I have a new telly with nice surround sound. And I was checking the speakers, mate. It was that quiet. Do you know what I mean? It was that quiet on the TV. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to enjoy this little bit of Shannon for He's not unlike me, but I, I want them. It's been, it's been half a decade, right? They need to be put in a box real quick. I hope we do it this year. Yeah, and I mean, you just have to laugh. I mean, six shots, they just, they don't create enough. And and the idea that people are falling for this terrible football and thinking that eventually it would get results. I, the thing I love, you guys, go on Spurs Twitter. Just swap the name Sun for Aubameyang. And you've got Arsenal Twitter two seasons ago. What, you think you just suddenly got bad overnight? You know, you don't just age overnight. Oh, mate, let me tell you about that. <laughs> Let me tell you about the age curves, baby. I got your age curve information. Um, yeah, and 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 they've spent and they've spent badly, and and they they have a, a manager who only cares about himself and isn't isn't the guy to carry them to any kind of long term project. So they are they are in deep deep shit, and I am absolutely here for it. Um, I, I guess Tim that that leads to the, I mean you know Chelsea are a mess. They they spent half a billion pounds in six months and made them worse. But 
the Manchester City result is just a stunner. And I, I think we have to finish by just saying, what's your feeling on Manchester City? Because the data would tell you that they're still excellent. You watch them, they still look excellent. They have a center forward that's unlike anything that's been in the league in a long time, just in terms of pure output. But they're dropping points. You know, and, and they're dropping points that you wouldn't expect. And they've got hard games coming up. You know, we have a hard run coming. They have a hard run coming. So has have some of the city results changed your thoughts on the inevitability of Manchester City? I mean, of, of course, yeah. I, I do tend to think they will do all right out of this run because I, I don't think they've got a problem against the bigger teams. You look at who they've dropped points again this, against this season – I mean, Newcastle depends where you classify them at the moment, but that was at the beginning mm. of the season. Villa, Brentford at home, Everton at home. Like, there's a bit of a pattern there about the the type of points that they're dropping. Um, I, I think you're, I, I think it's a mixture of things. I, I think it probably is a little bit of bad luck um, here in the UK. We're we're recording and it's like coming up to 11 p.m. in the evening, and the the, the 10:30 p.m. Um, what do you call it? Um, I should know this because I'm embargo. to them. Embargo. embargo. There we go. <laughs> embargo has has dropped. And so you get more of the comments from the weekend games and some of the ones that have just dropped from Guardiola questioning the body language um, of mm. some of his players and kind of saying not all of them are, are putting in. I also do think there is perhaps some... I, I don't watch enough of City to be firm about this, but I do wonder whether... Maybe it's two plus two equals five stuff, but I do wonder if it's the whole like on on a much much finer scale, almost like the Ronaldo thing um, a couple of years ago. In terms of we got a guy up front who has sixteen touches a game, um, seventeen of those are goals, um, but he doesn't press. He doesn't like like have they lost? Well, they've definitely sacrificed at least a little bit of control, but it's just. Is is that that's probably one of the many reasons? I, you know, look, I don't count them out at all because I think we've seen before where City have maybe got in by their standards a bit of a sticky situation, and Pep just goes right back to basics, back to the absolute basics uh, in terms of principles of play, and they'll win like twelve games in a row or something like that. So. You know, but but yes, it it does change the the kind of oh, it's utterly inevitable. Like there is like a chink in the armor there, um, and and actually because you know there's a lot of kind of ah oh, well, if Holland gets injured, may you know maybe it's like toast for them. I kind of don't think it would be. <laughs> no, I, I think not. if they put Alvarez up front, they'd probably, of course, they wouldn't have quite the same goal threat. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm saying that like. Haaland's not worth it because I, I kind of think he's that good that he is um, much in the same way that Mbappe doesn't press or track back or anything like that but who cares quite frankly yeah. but I do wonder if they're sacrificing a little bit of that control and let's say like Haaland was out for four months tomorrow I <sighs> In a way, I think they'd be more dangerous because I think they'd yeah. almost go back be more to what consistent. they know. Yeah, and they lumpy in the results. Obviously, Haaland makes them more dangerous, but there'll be games where it's just not. You know, he's a pl- he's like they're down to ten players. Yeah, uh, knocking it around, and if he gets on the end of the chances, great. If he doesn't, like I just think there's a good chance in the league they'll be more inconsistent this year. Yeah, and and actually, one of the things I have read as well is that the wingers aren't the same, and you know, like back when you associate City at their absolute 
Apex, it was Sterling, Sane, and now they've got like Mares likes to cut in, Grealish likes to cut in, Bernardo, Bernardo Silva likes to cut in. So I've read a lot of like they don't have the same like spread of play, they don't have the same width. I don't think my, like Mares is a really good player. I don't think he's you know the Sterling of three or four years ago, Sane. I don't think he's on that level. The um, wingers more help them dominate possession than the guys they had in the past who provided the threat that's now centralized in Haaland. So exactly yeah. that. Exactly. I that, think it yeah. makes them lumpier in terms of results. I think they'll drop a few points we might not have seen in another season, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so last but certainly not least, Clive, it's it's a big, big game at the Emirates. It's it's Newcastle. It's the <clears throat> team that we expect we may be looking up at in the not too distant future. But for today, they look up at us. Um, they're the team that wants to say they're in this group with Arsenal and City. They're not, <clears throat> oh, by the way, they want to believe they're in the title race. They are nine points back with a game in hand. So not in it, in it, but, you know, they're right there. They're the team that I think is is statistically anyway and on the le- balance of play probably rightly the third best team in the league. What makes them really, really special is their defense. They have the third meanest defense on XG and the meanest defense in the league on goals allowed. Um, they're really good defensively. And I'm curious how you how you see this game shaping up because we have a bit of a point to prove. <clears throat> I have no doubt that Mikel will reference the game at St. James Park at the end of last season and the way they just came to smash us and destroy our season. And we owe them one. And I, I'm wondering... You know, how you see that narratively playing out and, and in terms of the football, a, a good, solid Newcastle defense against, you know, Arsenal's best, second-best attack in the league. Yeah, I I, I, um, I do think, I said this, I think I've said this the other week, didn't I? I think this is a revenge game for us. And um, But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't fear Newcastle. Um, I think they're a hard-working, quite a, an English side, if you see what I mean. They have their they have their big boy centre forward in Wood, and and he's a, he's a post up merchant, or they normally go to Callum Wilson, who's a channel runner, and they fill in behind, right? So they work hard protecting their fullbacks, four two three one, four three three. They you know hard running players in centre mid, Bruno adding the sparkle, decent fullbacks, and Botman's not bad. I've always liked Fabian Shah. Funny enough, Nick Pope is steady. There's nothing spectacular here. I think this is a... I heard a podcast from The Athletic talking about this, actually. And I really love this analysis when... This is the first phase of Newcastle. The next phase could be quite interesting. When they embed Alexander Isaac into this group, if they do add better wide men with more speed, when they do add a, a, a maybe a, a better quality box-to-box, you know, in there. And you can see the next phase of Newcastle if they do it smartly. And those people they are hiring in the back end of the club are smart people. There is no rush. There is no rush, you know. And I think, I do think there is, there's something there that maybe this is the best time to play them. We've got a fairly healthy group. We're playing at home and the home advantage is huge for us. You know, that is it's something really is electric, as you guys know. So, yeah, I don't look at them and fear them. I think if we get the result, um, the one I was worried about was Brighton, for most of you. Um, I do think Newcastle is um, one I think we're going to do. Spurs is always unique. 
You know, it's just a unique place to go. And if it if the results keep going their way, I think Spurs were going to see this as redemption day. You know, and that could that could play into our hands if we have the healthy falls that we need to sprint away, particularly late in the game. So. Let's see. I, I'm not worried about it, to be honest. Um, I, I probably jinxed it now, but I, I, got that I, I do think we we want this game, and um, I think we're going to get it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, motivation is obviously not going to be an issue because we're fighting for a title, but I also think we have a little something extra to give them, and I think it could be a combative game. One thing to keep an eye out for, obviously, is the yellow card situation. Just a little... Little worry there. I mean, you wouldn't want to go into Spurs away without Bukayo Saka or without William Saliba or, you know, whatever the case may be. So something to just maybe keep an eye on. I, I will also say we better have Mudrick signed before we play Newcastle because I'm starting to worry he's going to, like, show up on Arsenal Fan TV or something if if we don't sign him. I mean, every so next social media post of the guy is increasingly, like, Arsenal super fan. I'm expecting him to, like, show up in full kit with a season ticket, like trying to get on Arsenal fan TV uh, outside the Newcastle game. So like we, we really need to take care of that, that poor lad. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I think we can leave it there. I, I think, um, you know, it, it gets tricky when the fixtures are this compressed because if you wait by the time you, by the time you do one, the, the last one doesn't matter anymore. You're looking ahead, you're looking behind. So we'll, we'll try to keep the, the regular rhythm. We'll have this one out um, as you're listening to it. Obviously, we're going to have this one out. It's out. You're listening. And then uh, I think we'll we'll try to sneak one in maybe Thursday, another main pod, and all the way in between that, we'll have some some Patreon stuff, but we'll definitely have an instant reaction after Newcastle. So we'll try to keep the schedule as regular as we can while these fixtures are going on. And then uh, is it is it Oxford next weekend? Is that? Monday night. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, oh, Monday night. That's right. And then it's uh, and then it spurs away the following weekend. So we've got some time to build up to that. And uh Maybe some announcements coming up as well. So excited to tell you about that. So stay tuned for some big announcements uh, coming shortly. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. Tim's on Twitter, at Stillmanator. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Well remembered again. Yeah, the rare double correct. Double correct on the occasion of the inauguration. I had to get it right both times. <laughs> um, uh, Paul's on Twitter, at uh, Stillberto. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Stillman in my pants. <laughs> Woohoo! Stillman in my pants. I mean, we can arrange for that. <laughs> Positive in my pants on Twitter. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You should absolutely 100%. And without hesitation, block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner, thanks for being here, everybody. Happy New Year. What an unbelievable season we are living through. And long may it continue. Don't pinch me. I do not want to wake up. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Newcastle Mill.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.